Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Trust you had a great weekend. Your stool is ready. And let's talk about the top martinis of the day, good, bad, and crazy. Uh, Jim, let's start with the good. And it's not only good when uh, Democratic senators are struggling in their re-election effort, it's even more delicious when they try to pretend there's something different than they have been for the past five and a half years, and then it blows up in their face and it makes their re-election attempt even more unlikely. And that's kind of where we are with Maggie Hassan. I wouldn't say her re-election is unlikely at this point, but her poll numbers have gotten substantially worse since she went down to the border and publicly called out President Biden for planning to scrap Title 42, which he's wrong to do for many reasons, which we have articulated on multiple episodes of the Three Martini Lunch. But it's just awfully curious that Maggie Hassan is all of a sudden very public about her criticism of the Biden border policy. While uh, she is getting backlash from all sides up in New Hampshire. Republicans, of course, are uh, referring to her mockingly as MAGA Maggie and uh, and just calling her out as a hypocrite on this. But uh, folks on the left are too. Latino leaders, according to Politico, reacted with rage to Hassan's southern border visit in early April and her opposition to uh, the Biden administration's plan to lift Title 42. Members of the New Hampshire Democratic Latino Caucus resigned from their party leadership posts in an angry public letter. A Democratic state lawmaker took to the floor to rail against Hassan and uh, Congressman Chris Pappas, who also opposes the end of Title 42. More than a dozen progressives and immigration advocates gathered in Portsmouth Tuesday, the same day that President Joe Biden was visiting the city to protest Hassan's stance and demand that she meet with them. Now, these far lefties, they're not going to vote for the Republican nominee. But it might not just be them who are uh, affected by her obvious uh, political posturing here. A new Granite State poll conducted by the University of New Hampshire shows Hassan in a dead heat with uh, her possible Republican opponents, despite very low name ID for all of them. Remember, Chris Sununu was supposed to be the big Republican get in that race. Uh, she's losing to a guy named Chuck Morse, 46-44. She's ahead of Kevin Smith, 45-44, margin of error. And she's also uh, ahead of uh, Don Bulldog, a retired general, 47-46. Uh, and she's ahead by six points on one other Republican. Now, Bulldog, according to this poll, is lapping the field. So he's very likely to be the Republican nominee. Uh, and that race is uh, a dead heat. And just a few weeks ago, she was looking pretty good against these guys with low name ID. So, uh, Jim, uh, it's doubly good. Her seat is, is more vulnerable than it was just a few weeks ago. And it's largely because uh, she tried to snooker the voters of New Hampshire. You know, Greg, we on the right often complain about this phenomenon we'll sometimes call strange new respect, right? <laughs> Somebody runs as a conservative, gets to Washington, and sometimes very quickly or just sometimes after a term or two, we would say it as going native, right? All of a sudden, they kind of start drifting to the left, more comfortable with the way things are done in Washington. And uh, all of a sudden, these people who were once knuckle-dragging Neanderthal, just the absolute worst conservative you know, they, they start agreeing with Democrats on this piece of legislation or that piece of legislation. All of a sudden, the Washington Post says, you know, someone has matured in office. Someone has become, you know, forgotten the firebrand days of youth and come to understand the important, you know, all kind of stuff. And it's very frustrating to us. And we point out that it very rarely happens in the other direction. You very rarely get elected to Congress as a liberal or progressive and then drift towards the center. Maybe you could say Kirsten Cinema 
is a good example of that. Um, so it does happen once in a great while, but it doesn't happen very common. I think what's intriguing is that you, know, you have this argument of strange new respect, but the flip side of it is you dance with the one that brung you. The idea that if you build your reputation in politics with the support of certain positions and certain groups that are very vocal on this, pro-life groups, uh, the NRA and Second Amendment voter, you know, there are certain issues you just can't flip-flop on because the people who elected you will be up in arms about it. And there really isn't an offsetting gain amongst the other side that has been hating you for a whole bunch of years and that isn't really going to grant you any strange new respect. I'm sure you can find one or two examples of it. And this thirdly, if you are Maggie Hassan and you think you've uh, got a vulnerability on the border and immigration issues, well, you need to start sounding like you care about the border and immigration issues before the spring of 2022. You've been in office for every senator by the time they're running for re-election has been in office for at least six years. And a bunch of these guys are, are second terms. You need to at least look like you cared about the issue before you started your re-election campaign. And then as the, it, the, the you know, going to the border, the commercial turn in front of the border fence, it just screamed overcompensation. It just screamed desperation. It just screamed, oh my God, I better look like I care about this. And I don't think, you know, one, the skeptics, the people who are upset about illegal immigration in New Hampshire, they're not going to buy this. They, they've Senator Hassan's been on a, uh, a side of a milk carton as far as they're concerned on this issue. And the pro-immigration or pro-amnesty or pro-illegal immigration groups in New Hampshire, they're going to feel kind of betrayed by this because they saw Donald Trump and the border fence as uh, the most horrible thing since the Berlin Wall. And this was oh, a sign of oppression and incipient fascism and stuff like that. So she's managed to not help either sides. I think it's a good sign, not just of the, a, a sense that her campaign sees something that terrifies them. They're kind of flailing in desperation to get their arms around it, and they are not succeeding. And I don't think this approach is going to work. Who knows? Maybe if she really poses as an, as an immigration enforcement advocate, uh, between now and November. Could it save her? Uh, maybe. You know, New Hampshire is always a very close state and kind of bluey uh, most cycles, but uh, it really feels like this is a huge year for Republicans, and she's probably one of the Democratic incumbents most likely to go down. Yeah, if you're Maggie Hassan, looking at approval numbers, she's underwater 51 to 35. That's way better than Biden, who's underwater 53-47. So if you're 12 points worse than Joe Biden on favorability and approval right now, uh, that's not a good position to be in as an incumbent. So if you're a Republican opponent, uh, the opportunity is most certainly there. All right, well, let's talk about something also uh, wonderful, and that is one of our great sponsors, FastGrowingTrees.com. I look around my house and I see multiple examples of the phenomenal products you can get from Fast Growing Trees. We've got a, a really fun Monstera plant, and uh, it's they probably call it that because the leaves are monster size. These things are massive, but it's really, really healthy. It's doing great. Uh, we also have a fig tree that's over in the corner and doing fantastic. And just to the side of me here is uh, a lemon tree. And so it's still growing. doesn't quite have the lemons yet, but it looks perfectly healthy and it's getting better every day. And it's just a, a great way to add some... Uh, more personality uh, uh, to the house. And of course, it's not just indoor plants they've got. They got a wonderful outdoor arrangement as well. And now, of course, is the time to get uh, get your outside and your inside uh, looking good when it comes to uh, the spring being upon us. So get your place looking great at fastgrowingtrees.com. When it comes to caring for your plants, know-how matters. That's why fast-growing trees experts curate thousands of plant varieties that will thrive in your specific climate, location, and needs. There's no waiting in lines and no messy cars from hauling plants all over town. 
because you order online or over the phone and your plants are shipped to your door in one or two days. Plus, their growing and care advice is available 24-7. Whether you're looking for increased privacy, shade, or just adding some natural beauty to your yard, fast-growing trees have the perfect plants and the expertise to help you find them. And even if you've never had a green thumb, they'll make you feel like you do. More than one million home gardeners have already seen what FastGrowingTrees.com can do for them. Plus, with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. Go to FastGrowingTrees.com slash martini right now, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com slash martini. FastGrowingTrees.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And, you know, there's a long storied tradition. It's a bipartisan tradition, really, in Washington that you uh, release bad news on days when nobody's paying attention. There's the Friday evening news dump that happens, especially if you're headed into a holiday weekend. Uh, and sometimes just other big news is happening. And so you can let it kind of slip out there. Well, think about late February. One of the big things that was happening, of course, was Russia invading Ukraine. And on the very same day, the Pentagon decided to release an, an important report that ought to be very disturbing to just about everyone. This is a column from uh, Town Hall written by Will Coggin, Managing Director of the American Security Institute. And he's basically saying that in addition to our pharmaceuticals and uh, so many other components of our economy, our military is literally dependent on a supply chain from China. In a 74-page report with 64 recommendations, he says, DOD detailed several areas in which the United States is unable to supply our military with what it needs, including battery production, microelectronics, and metal casting. Batteries are essential in many defense products to power anything from armored vehicles to night vision goggles. The DOD states that 94% of lithium hydroxide, 76% of electrolyte, 70% of lithium carbonate, and 65% of anodes are produced in China. Most batteries are produced outside the United States, but even when they are made within our borders, producers rely on China for the components. Things are predicted to get worse. The DOD notes that it is expecting reliance on batteries to accelerate dramatically by 2030 and warned that this transition, which is driven in part by the military's pledge to be carbon neutral, could inadvertently grow China's dominance. Jim, we can all read the tea leaves. We can see what China's doing on an almost daily basis to grow its dominance in the world. And yet, we are focused on the impact of... Uh, fossil fuels on our military rather than who's helping to produce the stuff we need to win. Greg, it was really an eye-opening and kind of unnerving report. I think the part that's jumped out at me uh, was the sentences, Chinese domination of microelectronics has already harmed the U.S. military. Quote, counterfeit microelectronics components have been identified in multiple DOD systems, the agency reports. That doesn't sound good. That sounds like a really big problem. That, uh, you know, we need to rely on this stuff and we're getting, you know, uh, you know, stuff from China that fell off the back of a truck or something. The aspect that kind of jumps out, the one, I'm going to take you all the way back to the mid-90s. My uh, college roommate and best friend at the time had an internship at the Department of Commerce. And you have to understand when you are in, uh, you know, late teenager, early 20-something in Washington, D.C., you're so excited about your first job. You're actually getting involved in your it's an internship. So you're not getting a lot of work, but you're getting some, you know, you do get to contribute in a small part to this one, some sort of big actual government report. And he had worked on a report on the unbelievably 
heart-stopping, dramatic topic of ball bearings. <laughs> and oh yeah, a little little circle ball thing, you know, little marbles made out of, out of metal. Yes. Well, it turns out that you know the Department of Commerce at that time was examining the defense industrial base. I remember him using that phrase over and over again about where ball bearings come from and where do we get our supply? Where do they get their raw materials from? What does it take? And basically, the Department of Commerce back then was doing research on, hey, where does our military get all its stuff? Where does it get all the components for its stuff? Where does all the, those components, where do the raw materials come from? And is there at any point where we could have our supply chain cut off by some hostile state, presumably China or Russia, but I suppose there are a couple other ones. Um, if we're getting a lot of stuff from, say, South Korea, and God forbid North Korea invades South Korea, would we suddenly be cut off from our critical supply of something that seems small? We all remember that story, the, uh, the you know, story, for want of a nail, the battle was lost, right? The idea, you know, the nail for the horseshoe, which, you know, is the horse, which is it's a general, all that kind of stuff. So this has been studied for a very long time. There are people in government who are paying attention to it. And yet we have still ended up in a situation where we are dependent upon China for critical components of critical systems. Absolutely unnerving and frightening. And I hope we're doing a lot to develop the alternatives to those systems as quickly as possible. But as we can all guess, particularly having dealt with all kinds of supply chain issues in our own lives right now, these supply chains do not get replicated quickly or easily or cheaply. Yes. Like you pointed out, Jim, this is one of the critical issues right now, and we constantly seem to get distracted by it. But I'm also to blame because once you mentioned ball bearings, I'm thinking of Fletch, where he's posing as G. Gordon Liddy uh, at, the, at the airplane hangar, uh, telling the guys, it's all ball bearings nowadays, guys. But yeah, the refusal, seriously, for our administration to deal with that is 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 unbelievable. Instead, we're uh, still pretending like we're friends with these people. Meanwhile, we see stories over the weekend that uh, China is making security agreements with the Solomon Islands. They're making deals with the Marshall Islands. It's like reverse island hopping from World War II as they get closer and closer uh, to Australia and other places uh, where they can just extend their sphere of dominance. It's 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 chilling, and we're pretending like it's not happening. Yeah, I, I don't expect the average American to pay a lot of attention about the uh, loyalties or alliances of small island country, countries in the Pacific Ocean. But I do expect our government to do so. And I do, you know, in, in, in the end, our legislators in Congress have to be this. I'm sure we have intelligence agencies that are paying attention to this sort of thing. I'm sure we have, you know, the Department of Defense pays attention to this sort of thing. But it doesn't do much good if members of Congress and the top people in the administration aren't paying attention. And if they're, you know, in the end, they're the ones who have to make the decisions of how do we respond to a problem like this. Greg, I don't know about you, but I have this nagging feeling that we have, an, you know, like the, the component of workhorses to show horses in Congress has gotten way out of whack. And everybody is kind of kind of competing for cable news hits and, and how to get more attention and stuff like that. And nobody's actually doing the homework of really scary under the radar issues like this one. Yeah, it's very little, partly because they know they're not going to get any attention for it because uh, they definitely want attention. News reports they can put back in the district. And while this is critical stuff that should be covered, uh, there's easier stuff to cover, which is why the media generally covers it. The, you know, the partisan spitting matches over a variety of issues. But uh, there's very little that you could consider more critical than this right now. Oh, and, and who could be shocked that some of the stuff that China sent didn't work? <laughs> That's at least consistent, I guess. All right. Uh, in the meantime, you don't have to worry about uh, Chinese products when you order from my pillow. You know where the cotton's made. <laughs> Jim, I'll tell you again in a second. Uh, the six-piece towel set. I love the towels. They're soft. They're thick. They're fluffy. They get you dry super quick. And now the this, this phenomenal deal is still going. Towels regularly $109.99, only $39.99 a set. Greg, I'm hoping someday on Jeopardy, the question is... 
the country where the cotton used in my pillow towels comes from. And I'm hoping the answer is what is the United States? Because yes, the my pillow six piece towel set is made with cotton grown in the United States. Other towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well. Or they absorb well, but they don't feel good on your skin. They got that lotiony feel. Every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99 for only $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash Martini or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash Martini. All right, Jim, on to our crazy Martini now. And another very legitimate concern in this country right now is inflation, the state of the economy, how much our government is spending. And there are still a disturbing number of people who hold very high positions in our country who don't seem to understand the different factors that lead to inflation. One of them, unsurprisingly to us, is Massachusetts Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren, whose main uh, issue right now is canceling student loan debt to the tune of tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, because she just uh, thinks this is the most important thing to happen right now. And she doesn't seem to understand what that's going to mean. They still have to be paid, of course. They're just not going to be paid by the people who promised to pay them. Instead, they're going to be paid by the taxpayers en masse, including many people who already paid their loans or didn't go to college. And so they're going to get stuck with the loans that uh, the government wants to forgive here. But not only does she want that, which is a bad enough idea we can discuss, she actually thinks it's going to help with inflation. Here's what she said on Meet the Press over the weekend. Two Obama-era economists, Senator Warren Jason Furman, and Larry Summers have warned against the president's extension of the student loan moratoriums during this time of inflation, saying, quote, it's regressive and adding fuel to the fire of inflation. You are calling for more, though. Why does this spending make sense at this time when Americans are desperate for prices to come down? Actually, what I'm calling for is to cancel a big chunk of student loan debt. But they the say it'll add to inflation. To they say that'll add to inflation, Senator. Mm -hmm. No, actually, not paying student loan debts has already been baked in. Let me ask. Yeah, she says that student loan debt has already been baked into inflation. So uh, if we get rid of it, which means more government spending, inflation's going to improve, Jim. I mean, I'm not an econ major, but I'm not sure where she took her classes. Right now, Greg, I'm just picturing her coming up to you and saying, your mailbox is too close to the curb. <laughs> Longtime listeners will understand that reference to that's who Elizabeth Warren is. Before before we use the term Karen, Elizabeth Warren was the woman in your community who reminded you you weren't living up to the HOA uh, requirements. So Elizabeth, so here's it. So think about like who this appeals to, right? People who came out of college with a lot of debt. Maybe they were basket weaving majors. <laughs> Maybe they had more constructive majors, but they found themselves in professions where the salaries they're making either aren't enough to keep up with their student debt or makes it really hard for them to keep up with their student debt. 
My colleague, Charlie Cook, amongst others, thinks that if Biden goes ahead with this, and so far the Biden administration's attitude has been, let's kick this can down the road. Ah, we're going to extend the, the, you know, we don't have to pay him for another couple of months. Ah, we'll do another couple of months. I believe um, they keep seem to be kicking down the road one Friedman unit for those who have, you know, really long memories. And Tom Friedman always kept saying the next six months in Iraq are really, really vital and critical. Um, I, I think Charlie and others basically think that if, if, if he does this, this is like full on class warfare of the upper class declaring of the upper class that has went to you know high price colleges came out with a lot of debt and has had an enormous break from paying them back that has gone well beyond you know with the, the uh, pandemic's effect on you know in our in our lives that basically this is playing everyone else who did not go to college or who paid off their debts for suckers and i do think there's a chance of having that kind of enormous negative backlash. Democrats look at this and say, ah, you know, well, you know, think about all the people who will be happy with us and who will say, well, thank you for giving, you know, relieving me of that debt. Now I don't have to worry about that, you know. But on the other hand, all of these people agreed to pay back this debt. And if you say, oh, you know, my my home mortgage is really expensive. Can you, government, can you take care of that for me? Uh, my car payments are really expensive. Government, can you take care of that for me? In any other situation, you'd be like, no, no, it's not the government's job to pay back your loan that you agreed to take out. That's your responsibility. And except for this one, it's like, no, 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 it's, you know, the federal government's going to have to go in and save you from your own bad decisions. Who could have known that your degree would not get you a job that would put, give you a high enough salary to make it easy to live the lifestyle you want to lead and pay back those loans? Um, I don't know. My, I guess the only thing that's kind of nagging at me is if we, we've been talking, you know, episode after ep episode about how bad the midterm election looks for Democrats. If you're the Biden administration, do you do this because you're going to lose the House and Senate anyway? Like the public's already really mad at you about inflation, high gas prices, high food prices, everything else going on. Well, you might as well go ahead with this one, get something you want, make some chunk of your base happy and, you know, give them something that presumably they'll have them very motivated uh, in the midterm elections. I don't know if they'll necessarily make that calculation, but boy, it certainly seems to be ominous that they keep kicking the can down the road. I wonder if Biden might get desperate enough to think that this is, you know, convince himself that this is a winning idea. I feel like it was Saki who said, and not on the, not at the press briefing, but some other forum, that uh, either Biden will kick the can down the road again or actually do more cancellations. I know he tinkered with, uh, you know, minimal cancellations there in the last couple of weeks, but she thinks there might be something bigger coming down the pike. And of course, she'll cover it all on her MSNBC show at that point. But uh, Jim, <laughs> uh, as we exit here, uh, a couple of things. Uh, over the weekend, uh, we noted the passing of longtime Utah Republican Senator Orrin Hatch, 42 years uh, in the U.S. Senate. As of right now, he is the longest serving Republican in Senate history. Chuck Grassley will tie that at the end of the year. And if he's reelected, he'll break it. Uh, early next year. Uh, you know, he's a guy who was obviously there for a long time. He very briefly ran for president in 2000. Uh, I think you and I probably remember him best from uh, standing up for Clarence Thomas and uh, taking on Anita Hill in 1991 and at other confirmation hearings that got contentious uh, along the way. But of course, uh, you know, he was there uh, as part of some landmark legislation, whether we liked it or not, uh, along the way as well. So uh, also known as a pretty fun guy up on Capitol Hill, good sense of humor. So uh, uh, rest in peace, Senator Hatch. You know, I think there's an interesting contrast in that, you know, sometimes you could, you know, find people making fun of Orrin Hatch, particularly whenever he, you know, got behind the piano or tried demonstrating his songwriting abilities, which actually was pretty good. It just was, you know, very earnest, all-American, traditional, uh, very old-fashioned songwriting. And obviously lots of people found that, you know, it's not cool. 
It's not, you know, hip, so to speak. It's not, it's not with it. It's not, you know, not nothing edgy. There was nothing edgy about Orrin Hatch. Although whoever was running his Twitter feed in those last couple of years, <laughs> man, did they have a, a wicked wit to them, you know. And it's very, some of that could have been Orrin Hatch, but it was almost as if the, the filter, if it was him actually saying the, writing those things, man, the filter came off him. There was a, you know, I, that's why I strongly suspect that there was some more mischievous staffer who enjoyed uh, giving him suggestions. But anyway, Orrin Hatch, you know, like it's very interesting. Oh, God, Orrin Hatch, what a dweeb, what an old fashioned guy. I mean, compared to like Alf Rankin, I'll take it. <laughs> you know? Oh, he's so stodgy and uncool. Okay, well, your side's got a bunch of creeps. So, you know, I'll I'll, I'll take my stodgy guys over your creeps. Condolences to his family, 88 years old, uh, Senator Hatch. Again, 42 years in the U.S. Senate. So, Jim, that is our uh, Monday edition. I meant to say at the top that uh, we are monitoring Elon Musk and uh, the potential actual sale of Twitter or, or the deal that, that could be made here in short order. When, in fact, that actually happens, we'll certainly have more to say about it. There's been a lot of twists and turns, so unless it's actually final, we'll kind of be observing, but uh, could happen soon, so we'll see. Jim? Yeah, we, you know, we, we thought about talking about this, listeners, but we don't know anything for certain yet, so we'll... <laughs> You know, there'll be more to dissect and chew over when it's, you know, if and when the deal becomes official. If your Twitter page looks vastly different before the next episode, you'll know that the deal went through, I guess. But, uh... why, why is everything look like it's on Mars? <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Uh, thank you so much for your uh, kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Those mean a lot to us. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. National Border Patrol Council Vice President Chris Cabrera joins me to discuss how bad the border crisis is and how it's about to get much worse. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Cabrera says he could identify the root causes of the crisis in just a minute. I'll also react to an MSNBC host comparing Republican governors to Russian war criminals because of changes they want to make to our schools. Join me. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.